The only thing that will make this dramatic is if I die in the course of <laughs> making this film. And he hung, hung around long enough, that could have happened. Oh, man. That was a running <laughs> joke throughout, throughout production. Tim would basically scold me saying, you know, you don't have a story until I die. Um, he would be puffing away, saying, I'm trying, I'm doing everything I can. <laughs> Let me ask you this, Tim. Are you are you still smoking? No, not at all. Welcome to the Lone Star Play Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Scott Armstrong. Join me and a famous guest. We discuss their career, life, food, Texas, and everything in between. Let's get started. Hi guys, and welcome to another wonderful episode of the Lone Star Play Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Scott Armstrong. Yes. All right. This was a cool episode because for me, because I got to watch a cool documentary and then interview uh, the director of the documentary and the subject of the documentary all at once. I mean, it was phenomenal. So from our sister podcast, which you should check out, Factual America, all right, that's where we got this guest. Uh, Factual America is a cool podcast uh, that, um, you know, they review documentaries. They'll have on the director or the producer or somebody involved with the documentary and uh, talk about it. It's pretty cool. Love it. Awesome. Uh, so check it out. Factual America. Uh, great podcast. So shout out to Matt Sherwood, uh, the host. He's killing it. Okay. Great episode about Billie Eilish. Uh, by the way, Billie Eilish. Is it Eilish or Eyelash? It's Eilish. I, I'm pretty sure. Uh, okay. They had the director on of of that, you know, the, the Apple documentary, the Billie Eilish one. It's pretty cool. So anyway, yeah, Factual America. Check that out. Okay, cool. All right. So anyway, we had, um, because of them, we had uh, Aaron Matthews and Tim O'Brien on the podcast to talk about their documentary. It's called The War and Peace of Tim O'Brien. Okay, so that's a documentary. You should check it out. We're going to play a little clip. Uh, we'll play the trailer, and then, uh, you know, you'll, you'll get a, a hint of it. But, um, it, you know, before that, real quick. So that's the name of the documentary, and the director is Aaron Matthews, and the subject is Tim O'Brien. Okay, he's a fam famous uh, literary, you know, giant, I guess we'll say, uh, and uh, has written ma many books about the Vietnam War. And uh, this is sort of his final book. And uh, that he wanted to leave, live, leave sort of a legacy for his, uh, his son uh, that you meet in the documentary, his family, and um, just really phenomenal story, you know, it follows him for like five years, okay, so this is a long uh, form documentary and, and really just interesting um, you know, insight into him as a person. It's really an intimate documentary. That's what I loved about it. And, um, you know, getting a chance to talk to Tim and Aaron about it was just phenomenal. And to be honest, we we did talk about the, the, the documentary, but we also just talked about other things. So you get to know them a little bit outside of the documentary. You know, just talked about some current events and just some other things. So I thought that was cool. Um, so, you know, look... You're going to watch the documentary and get one thing, and you're going to listen to this podcast and get another. I do recommend watching the documentary before you listen to the podcast, but I don't think it's going to hurt you either way. Uh, so, the, you know, there's some spoilers in there. What do you want me to say? So, uh, check out the documentary, 
And uh, okay, so here's a quick trailer of the documentary. Did I say that right? Yeah, quick trailer of the documentary. And then uh, we'll be back in just a second. Okay, boom. My children have to live with what they call dad's bad time. So they too will carry the burden of a war. His mood depends on whether he has good or bad writing days. The struggle to make something good. And what a struggle. National Book Award-winning novelist Tim O'Brien here. The best American writer of his generation. One of the rare works of recent literature. The things they carried sold more than two million copies, and it's helped define Vietnam and the experience of war. The hard part is that I haven't written a book in 15 years. I have no idea where the handset is. It feels like there's a conspiracy of nature to stop me from writing anything. Think about what it means to go to war. Now think about it in terms of yourself. Do you want to go? Tim, when he's writing, it's, it's so intense. It seems so conspicuous. War sucks. Yeah. You're going to be dead forever. There's the baggage that everybody carries, but he's had a little extra to carry all his life. I suddenly became a killer of people. It's <laughs> just the opposite of everything I thought I was. You can see how I feel overwhelmed. I need like another 10 years to write this. I know that time's running out. Have a great day at school, okay? okay? I love you. Love you too. It's why I'm writing the book. It's the inspiration that my kids, when I'm dead, will hear their father's voice and understand in life, we have to fight through our battles. All right, hope you enjoyed the trailer. Give you a little more insight about uh, what the documentary is, okay? So yeah, Aaron Matthews, Tim O'Brien, super cool guys, okay? Had such a, hilarious, okay? Tim is hilarious. And if you've already seen the documentary, you'll understand what I'm saying. Uh, but he's hilarious in the podcast too, man. I was rolling. Um, and, you know, kind of personal for myself uh, in some ways. Um, you know, my father wasn't directly in Vietnam, uh, but he did serve in the Air Force uh, in the 70s, okay? And um, knew, he knew a lot of people and, you know, it's kind of a, was a sore subject in our family a little bit. Uh, I don't want to get into it and I didn't really get into it in the podcast, but so this was sort of a personal podcast for me uh, in some ways. Um, I did mention my father and, and uh, did bring that up a little bit about him serving and him not really wanting to talk about it very much. That's kind of how Tim is. I think that's how a lot of people are in the military, um, you know, and I get it. I, you know, I get, I, I don't get that, you know, I was never in the military, but I'm not saying I get that experience, but I get not wanting to talk about something that was probably painful if it was painful for you. Um, you know, and I can't imagine that level, you know, especially if you've seen like actual combat, like forget it. So look, this podcast goes out to all veterans and, uh, you know, all active servicemen as well. And women, of course. Um, so yeah, this is a, this is a special podcast. I gotta say, you know, it's a, it's an important one and please check out the documentary again, if you haven't seen it. 
And uh, if you have, you're going to enjoy this podcast. So, you know, great guys. And, and look, Aaron is an accomplished filmmaker uh, aside from just this documentary. So please check out his other films and, you know, give him a quick Google search and you'll find out other things he's done. So, yeah, this was just a cool conversation. Uh, look, I love my job. This is so cool. I get to talk to people like this. And Tim is, again, you know, literary genius just written some amazing books so check out his stuff we'll put some uh, links in the the, the uh, description uh, for some of his books and this documentary so okay as always before we get to the episode I'm going to talk about what well first I'm going to drink a little bit of this espresso that's been sitting here it's kind of gotten cold uh, we're going to talk about social media our social media the Lone Star Plate did you hear that? Did you hear that? Sip. Let me let me just. This is like ASMR. Is that what this called? Oh, is that sexy? Let me use my sexy voice. Okay, let's talk about social media. Let's start play TX. Okay, let me stop that. It's probably not. It's not sexy at all. Okay, I've never been called sexy. I don't think so. Not by anybody I wanted to. Anyway. Anyway, <laughs> let's. Oh, good God! All right. Lone Star Play TX, uh, please check us out. All platforms, cool stuff happening. And our YouTube, YouTube channel, yes, the Lone Star Plate. Um, you know, please subscribe, follow, like, share, leave a review. That would be cool. If you're listening like at Apple, I think that is Apple Podcast, you can leave a review. That would be cool. Leave us a review, write something and look, just take the time. Don't be lazy. Hit pause. Go, go there right now. Hit pause type a little so just hit five stars just give us the five stars if that's it or four whatever you you think is necessary i prefer five you know Let, let's meet there four and a half okay we'll meet there halfway um anyway okay thank you so much for listening we, i mean that really thank you for supporting us thank you for listening and uh we're going to continue to put out awesome episodes look we got a great crew behind us here okay uh, that make this happen so we, we don't give thanks to them enough i promise you they do an amazing job uh of just you know what we should have an episode where we have the crew that's what we're going to do a little behind the scenes podcast episode so you guys can meet some of the people that work on this podcast i'm going to put that together we're going to make that happen i think that'd be cool uh all right so without further ado let's get to this episode of aaron matthews and tim o'brien for their film uh the war and peace of tim o'brien what an apropos title as well you know it's a double entendre there all right so, uh, as always, a word from our sponsor, Texas Real Food, and then uh, the podcast episode. All right, enjoy. The Lone Star Play podcast is produced by Texas Real Food. Go to texasrealfood.com and you can search your city for stores, butchers, restaurants, farmers markets, and more who are using fresh, artisanal, organic sources. It's a fun site that brings all natural options all together. Hello, sir. Hi, how are you doing? Great. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Um, I, you know, I'm actually a late. Uh, uh, this is early for me. Yeah. I'm a, a late. I'm a. <laughs> I know how you feel, but I love your red handkerchief there. Listen, I'm. I'm always. I'm ready to go. I'm ready know, to go at all, at all times. Hands up, hombre. Yeah, hands up, hombre. That's right. Hey, listen, the Amazon Hi, guy comes to my house all the time, so I'm like ready to go. Hi, Aaron. How you doing, brother? 
good man how's it going patrick fantastic fantastic uh just talking about uh th this is early for me 10 o'clock is like it's early it might as well be 7 a.m that's uh uh -oh. Tim and I are ready for our naps already. Yeah, we, <laughs> yeah, we are. That's next on the next on the agenda. I thought I was an early riser until I met Tim, and I was like, "Yeah, hey, I get up at six, seven in the morning." He's like, "Oh, I get up at two. Oh my God, you just keep you just keep getting earlier and earlier until you just don't even go to sleep. I was like, "I don't right. even sleep," you know. That's that's how I do it. Well, listen, guys, I, I got to admit, um, th this is sort of surreal right now because I just I watched this film last night and, you know, what an amazing story, what an amazing film. Um, and just, you know, kind of um, reminded me a little bit of my father, Tim, to be honest with you. My father passed away five years ago and he um, he served in the military as well in the Air Force, uh, in Nebraska, Omaha, uh, was actually stationed some other like island off of alaska for a while i don't know he oh, hated it i mean so, oh he hated it it was like the worst stories he told them <laughs> they had to like live underground or something it was so cold oh i could imagine it, yeah it's horrible it's horrible he said so i started drinking he said my dad never drank before he said i started drinking beer like nobody's business all we could do there was nothing else to do but drink beer but yeah your story but just very much uh i just remember my father um you know, just things he talked about. I could just tell it was on his mind all the time, uh, you know, during what happened. I, I could just tell uh, friends, this, that, the other. He never wanted to talk about it. Or something, something he never opened up, unlike yourself, which you completely opened up. And you started writing all these books. And, well, you know, I only I only open up really with Aaron on the film. I, I don't talk about Vietnam much. Uh, kind of yeah. like your dad. I've, I You don't go to a cocktail party and say hey do you want to hear about the war <laughs> of course they don't so you, yeah. they don't you know but uh i got so comfortable being around there and he lived with us for you know a couple of weeks at a time or a week at a time became kind of a member of the family so it wasn't yeah. like talking to a stranger nice you think that so that helped that helped have an errand just stay there and and get some yeah. time eating some me meals yeah. with them right uh that sort of deal more than yeah. some yeah a lot <laughs> no it, you know if he's there for two weeks 14 times three what the hell is that like 42 or something like that it's a lot <laughs> just in, so no we became really close friends in the course of five years of doing this wow wow that's that's amazing um so yeah, that was awkward then having him in your house with a camera just fixated on you while you it was awkward at first. Yeah, I mean, yeah. at first it's you're conscious of the camera. Sure. I guess I was always conscious of the camera, but I just was able to ignore it. You know, after after you've done it a while, just trusting that Aaron will take out anything that's completely embarrassing. He did leave in my bowling, where I wasn't able to actually hit a single pin. But aside from that. <laughs> <laughs> He's actually quite a, a good bowler. It, um, he was having a rough day, though. I was having a <laughs> bad day. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, well, there is a moment in the film where you do say, um, you know, I, I, I just finished writing. I, you know, forgot about this camera. You know, I, I usually do it for the cameras or put on for the cameras. And, and this moment I didn't. And I was able to just write and and go. So I'm curious, like, 
yeah, I guess that happens sooner than than it's than it's shown in the film. Yeah, Aaron, uh, you get used to when you have a friend in the room with you. It's, it's totally different from having a stranger doing it. And I trusted Aaron to make a beautiful film and to edit out things that that uh, or I, not not that they were they would not be flattering. I didn't really care that much about that part. But yeah. I did care about hurting other people, so I might now and then make a comment about somebody who had just interviewed me, for example, and it wouldn't be exactly flattering. And he, he would edit that sort of thing out. But he did. <laughs> but he did manage to make, a, I thought, a pretty intimate portrait of a guy's life over five years. He oh, got, very much he so. Got me almost dying of pneumonia. And yeah. That was intense. And uh, it was really, really bad. All my organs shutting down. It was a little discombobulating to wake up from this hallucinatory sleep I was in and find that Aaron was dollying in on a camera on my on my dying face. <laughs> I thought maybe that was part of the hallucination. Uh, yeah. <laughs> He's like, let's do let's shoot this this scene again. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Wait, wait a second. Oh, and funny. I used to joke with Aaron, sure. only partially joking that that there wasn't a lot of drama in a writer's life. It just sits in front of the computer all day. And I said, the only thing that will make this dramatic is if I die in the course <laughs> of making this film. And he oh, hung around. He hung around long enough. That could have happened. Oh man! Oh. I think oh, he was secretly. I think he's still secretly rooting for it with the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> stop, stop. Oh! That was a running joke throughout, throughout production. Then would basically scold me, saying, "You know, you don't have a story until I die." So um, <laughs> and he, he, he would he would be puffing away, saying, "I'm trying. I'm doing everything I can." <laughs> Let me ask you this, Tim: Are you are you still smoking? No, not at all. <laughs> no i quit uh, just this morning yeah <laughs> you know i asked because i i'm a smoker myself um to be honest with you and um i i'm watching the film and i see that and it reminds me of you know every smoker hears something uh, all the time which is you know that's right. bad for you right it's like Yes, I know it's bad for me. It's like I smoke I and mean, there's nobody on the planet that thinks smoking cigarettes is good for them. Right. There's nobody that's I, like, oh, yeah, this is going to help me. We do it because we like or whatever the reason is we do it, uh, you know, that sort of thing. But I, I got to be honest, it watching the film. I mean, I'm just being honest here, watching the film, mm -hmm. seeing everything happening it, like it makes me want to quit smoking. Yeah, I can see it does. why. Yeah, it does. Uh, but at the same time, that's a hard struggle. Well, I mean, I don't think that gets talked about enough of smoking mm -hmm. and, and what how hard it is to quit uh, smoking cigarettes. It uh, is I think it's extremely gets, difficult. It gets, it gets talked a lot to me. I hear it all. Yeah, time, well, I mean, me too. I, I'm, I'm with yeah. you. I hear it, too. But like in society, it's yeah. almost like pull up your bootstraps, just quit smoking, you know, just just let it go. It's like it's not that yeah. easy. It's it's a, you know, it becomes oh, it's part not. of who you are. Right. Yeah. Especially when you're a writer. And yeah. sitting alone in a room with a cup of coffee for twelve hours. That uh, I my, started. I, I, I had hated smoking when I was a kid. My dad smoked, and I would open oh. the windows in the car. But then Vietnam came along, and in Vietnam, 
that's where I started. We, along with our sea rations, there came a little packet of four cigarettes in every box of sea rations. And you're out, you think you're going to die anyway. Oh, wow. So the, so the government, it was, got us fucked, more or less, on cigarettes. I'm sure they had some deal with the tobacco companies. In addition I did to not those, know in, that. In addition to those little packs, periodically helicopters would fly in with resupply. And in among the resupply were these huge cartons. I don't know, three feet by two feet, packed with cartons of cigarettes that we just dispensed everybody free of charge. And you're 20 years old and you're walking through minefields and getting shot at. You don't think about, you know, heart disease or lung cancer. You think about, you know, we're going to get a bullet in my head. Uh, so that's where it started. And uh, unfortunately, I haven't, uh, haven't stopped yet. It's only it's only been fifty years, so I've got time. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you make a good point about um, I, I didn't know the government was, you know, putting them in for the soldiers. I, I've actually never heard that before. That's kind of crazy, oh. um, but it makes sense in a way. You're right. If if you don't feel like, yeah, they hooked right, a whole I mean, generation of uh, you know three million people went over it in the course of that war. Two million. That's a lot of people to hook. And most had the had the uh, uh, wherewithal to quit. I, I sure. did. Sure. Well, hey, I, I I'm definitely the last person to judge here. I'm a uh, like I said, a, a smoker myself. I roll my own cigarettes. Uh, I I've lived in Europe for a while, so I started rolling them. Oh, and that oh. I got to be honest, Tim. That helped me cut back a lot because every time you want one, you got to roll it. So it's like it's got to put in the work. Uh, well, Aaron, you know, Aaron knows how mechanical I am. You filmed me putting my credit card in the receipt slot at a gas station. Oh, I saw that. That was so funny. And so <laughs> I, I, I couldn't roll a cigarette to save my soul. <laughs> I probably would quit if I had to. Well, there you I, go. I have a hard time turning my computer on, just pushing a button. <laughs> Let's talk about that scene real quick in the film where you do put your credit card in the in the receipt uh, machine, uh, you were just having a tough morning um, that morning, right? That, uh, Aaron, Aaron uh, filmed that. I, I didn't know he was filming it. So I believe a couple of natty, naughty, naughty words came out. And I'm, I can't even really remember. I can't believe they wouldn't have. <laughs> yeah, I thought the thing had eaten my credit card. Finally, we had to go into the gas station and get a uh, guy to come out and open up the receipt thing and pull my card out of it. But yeah, that I, was a that was a first. I'd never uh, I'd never <laughs> seen that before. <laughs> Aaron said that many times in the course of filming. He hadn't seen a lot of <laughs> a lot of shit I did. <laughs> but every other day he'd say, Well, I haven't seen that anybody do that before. Oh, that's that is that's funny. Someone um, someone just wrote me and and said, For Christ's sake, couldn't you have helped him when he was putting his card in the wrong slot and i swear <laughs> this was like my main concern with putting the scene in the film because every time i watched it it made me laugh and i, I just thought like everyone is going to be able to relate to this yeah but i thought yes. like oh i look like a real shithead just <laughs> filming there as this as this guy like puts the and i i swear to you i did not i, I was so oh. focused on just framing the image and you know when you're filming yeah. and you're trying you're doing everything you're listening yeah. to sound i was you know basically doing everything there in the moment I really did not 
know what was I, going I on. I was just like, okay, frame yeah. up his hand. Right. And then I realized what happened when he did. And I was like, oh, shit, this is good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the slots look identical. The slot where your credit card goes is sure. exactly the same size as the receipt comes out. So I can see how Aaron didn't know. I didn't know until Aaron told me. I think that's the receipt slot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I still thought I'd put it in the right slot. That's funny. You know, honestly, that's a good point because they should put something there that like doesn't allow it for it to go in because uh, you actually physically couldn't get your card out. Someone had to go oh, in and, and come right. back out to get to get the card out. They had to open up the whole gas. Pump yeah, thing yeah. And get it out of there. No, it's that's only right. that's only one of the snafus. Uh, there are plenty more that. Oh, of um, course. I mean, uh, I do. Like I, do I do stuff like that every day. We can relate to that. I think I went walking uh, yesterday and my wife pointed out that I had two uh, pairs of a pair of shoes, but they weren't matching shoes. One was black and one was like red and black. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, I looked like Bozo the Clown walking down the street, you know? <laughs> Most people mismatch their socks, but I don't know about shoes. That's a first I've heard. Yeah, that was a little odd. <laughs> I love it, Tim. No, you have great energy. And it, it does show through the film, too. And it is an intimate uh, piece. Aaron, you did such a great job with it, the way it's pieced together and really just showcasing his story and um, showcasing like just who he is as a person and really the the sort of mental battles, the mental war, if you will, that that Tim is sort of, you know, struggling with. I think we all struggle with in life of just trying to get through life, period. Um, so, yeah, Aaron, talk to us a little bit about that, about, you know, when you were looking to make the film, like, first of all, is what you came up with, what you thought the movie was going to be. And second, like, you know, when you went to film it, was it just, okay, I'm going to film and see what happens? Or you had an idea of, I want to try to get this, this, and this. Well, yeah, thank you for picking up on the, the struggle aspect, because that was definitely a, a big theme that emerged while making it that I thought a lot of people can connect with and was a, a really valuable thing that Tim, as a master storyteller and writer, was able to articulate, because that's what we look to great writers to do for us, you know, on the page yeah. is articulate what's roiling inside us, you know, and, and in the film, you get to see him actually living his life and able to do that, which I thought was a really special thing. So yeah, on, on just a, a basic level, the film is about a, a guy trying to do something really hard. And like you said, whatever you're doing, whatever your job or whatever situation you're, you place you're at in your life, I think you can relate to that. Uh, the theme that got me interested in the film initially, because I'm, I'm interested in social issues and social issues um, attract me to documentary films. It's almost always kind of a big theme or big issue uh, that grabs me initially. And, and that issue was America's fraught relationship to war, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, and, and when I interviewed Tim for another project, I just saw that he was, wrestling with this big idea of, you know, what it means to live in a highly militarized nation um, that's engaged in military action around the world and, and what it means, you know, to have a, you know, a culture and a politics that is really steeped in war. And Tim yeah. talked about that in our initial interview. And I just thought like, this is someone who is able to express, um, and articulate the, the the big themes surrounding war 
um, what it means to, to be in a war, what it does to you personally, what it does to your society. And I, I, I just wanted to dive deeper into that. Sure. What, what did you, what were your feelings about war, Aaron? Like when you started filming this, did, have your, did your opinions change on anything like politically or socially? You know, I know you're trying to stay away, you know, as a documentarian, right? You're, you're, you're trying to be there and capture the moment and not involve yourself, but I'm sure some of that has to affect you at some point, right? Well, no, Things I mean, you're hearing. yeah, what I, my big revelation was how much Americans and how much I um, was living in a, a, a bubble, how much we, we are all kind of living um, very, very insulated from the fact that we are, you know, a, a nation waging constant wars. And we have been since the beginning of the country. And that was what the, the initial film that I um, interviewed Tim for, The Draft. It was a PBS documentary about the history of the military draft. And uh, doing that project is where I realized that, you know, with the one half of 1% of the country that bears the burden of killing and dying in this country, that that was a fundamental unfairness uh, that I wanted to highlight and and also kind of explore in myself and and like and um you know kind of uh understand how how it came to be that you know someone someone like me and and most just like most americans uh became com completely you know numb to to the to the fact that we're a country at war and that we have this class of people who are, who are, or, you know, doing all the fighting and killing and dying for us. And that just seemed, seemed wrong. And, um, it seemed, uh, I don't know. It Unjust. Seemed, yeah. And, 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 um, something that, that I thought that we should be examining more. Sure. Fighting. Absolutely. Yeah. It's an interesting dichotomy. Tim, what do you, uh, what are your thoughts about the draft and all that? You made some comments in the film. Is everything you still feel the same or what do you feel about that? No, my views have changed radically. I hated the draft when I got drafted. Yeah, I was drafted right after graduating from college, right before going to grad school. I had a full ride scholarship to Harvard and the draft notice came. I, uh, I had had this kind of smug attitude that I was above it all, that nobody would go after me. I was the kind of person who hated Boy Scouts. I hated Cub Scouts. I hated bugs sleeping in the rain. <laughs> I didn't know I didn't know anything about guns at all. Uh, and I uh, thought I would be the last person on earth that the Army would even want unless they yeah. wanted to lose a war. They drafted the right <laughs> guy. <laughs> And they did draft me and we did lose. So maybe they got what they wanted. Who knows? <laughs> the, uh, now, like Aaron, I'm, uh, I don't find it healthy for a, a country that calls itself a democracy or a democratic republic to have so few people having the wolf at the door. Uh, at least in my era, the wolf was at every family's door, who had a, every family that had a son. There was a possibility of getting drafted. Now, you're exempt from serving your country in a military way unless you want it. And 
as Aaron said, one half of 1% of our country actually has to do the killing and the dying. And everybody else can go to their country club and support a war in their rhetoric, but they don't have to put their blood where their mouths are. And nor do they have to send their kids to war. Uh, that, that, as Aaron said, seems to me a fundamental and unfairness is not quite strong enough a word for me. It seems incompatible with our country's values uh, that, you know, you know, universal suffrage. We can, once you're 21 or 18, you can vote uh, universally, or at least you're supposed to be. That's the ideal. In Georgia today, they're trying to change that, of course, but. That's by and large what we aspire to, but we don't do it with the military, and it's uh, it, it it produces a, uh, a a bellicosity that it's so easy to come out of your mouth. Let's go kill Muslims and uh, a kind of uh, it's that's nuke them, you know, into the Stone Age was the phrase back in the in the Vietnam era without you having to be involved in it. I let somebody else do my fighting and my killing for me while I tuck my own kid away at Harvard or Stanford or, you know, University of Iowa or Texas, but I don't have to serve and I don't have to be part of it. Uh, Aaron used the word bubble and that's very accurate that most of America yeah. does live in a bubble and uh, doesn't have to pay a, a price except the price of lip service, which amounts to a kind of hypocrisy. When people support a war, I want to say to them, okay, if you support it, what the hell are you doing here? Talking to me, go. If you're 80 years old, go over and rent an apartment in Baghdad and live there for a year, be part of it. You can do something. Uh, but uh, they did, people just stare at me. I said this a couple of times in public to big audiences, and at first the room went dead silent because I, I was basically talking to, you know, 800 people in that auditorium. And they all, I felt, I'm sure, felt a little uncomfortable with the fact that they were sitting in those chairs. I think they wanted to get out of there and leave the auditorium. <laughs> but part of a writer's job is to make people uncomfortable. That's sure. part of what you do. Even if you're writing about love or you're writing a story about a father or a story about growing up, that there, there's a discomfort in a good novel where you don't quite feel comfortable. Uh, the Adventures of Huckleberry Finn is an example where you, you feel uncomfortable with a 12-year-old kid running away from home on a raft uh, in, uh, in, in the era in which uh, slavery existed with a black guy named Jim, there's a discomfort. And even today, a lot of people read that book with discomfort. I don't feel sure. comfortable with Jim and Huck aboard a raft together. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. That's um, that, that's really interesting um, perspective. Um, that you have about the draft actually honestly now i I'd, i'd be frank it's not what i thought you would think considering how much you don't think war is a good thing 
that you would no. want more more people to go to it. I think you know? I believe in it because I think there would be fewer and fewer wars. I think it'd be I see. a lot I see. harder to vote for a war if you know you have to go. Or that well, that's son- a that's a great point. Okay, that's a good and point. Your son might. Yeah. And, uh, okay. I see. I'm not a total pacifist. I think there are things sure. that you fight for to stop a Hitler, even maybe yeah. to stop a Stalin. But so many of our wars, we forget the reason for them as soon as we're done fighting. I go sure. around the country talking about Vietnam, which is one of our more recent wars. It ended, you know, 50 years ago. Yeah. But it's not as far back as World War II or one or Korea. And, I, and I'll go and talk to people, especially college students and high school students, and they'll say, who won? They don't even know the outcome of the war. Or they'll say, what was it about? Like, why was there a war? Yeah. They have no idea yep. about, you know, theories of containment, containing communism. They have no idea about issues like self-determination, things like that. The domino theory. They never even heard of it. They think it's a game you play with these little black things. <laughs> and uh, the, uh, when in fact the word domino meant all of Southeast Asia would fall if we didn't go over and stop the communists in Vietnam. All of Southeast Asia. And then the dominoes would begin falling in Seattle and San Francisco as the communists arrived aboard their little boats and attacked us. That's what we were fighting, that those containment and that domino theory are the two basic reasons for, for the Vietnam War, both of which proved to be untrue, that, that Vietnam did go communist, but the rest of Southeast Asia did not fall. And yeah. I haven't seen many Vietnamese running through the streets of Seattle with AK-47s recently. Have you? Uh, no. it, it didn't. It wasn't true. But the thing about it is, is that no one, these reasons are unknown to the vast swath of our population. They just have no idea what it was about. Uh, And that's weird that when you go off and kill people and have all these Americans die, about 60,000 of them, and you don't know why, why you had the war, that's bizarre. You're right. And, and why would you kill people if 50 years later you don't remember why you did it? And why would you have your sons die if you don't know why? It's, I find it totally bizarre. And I think it has to do with this bubble era mentioned, this insulation that when, you're, when we're not involved anymore, we're, our lives are not on the line. Who cares why there were wars? Nobody does care if you don't have to go fight in one. So basically, Aaron and I arrived through different paths at the same thought, uh, that it's there's something inequitable about uh, only one half of one percent of our country bearing the burden. No, for sure. Uh, You make great points. Uh, I don't think anybody knows the wars we fought since World War Two. Right. Any war, either all the wars we've been in the last 20 years, I don't think anybody knows. I don't know. No. I, we don't, what are no. we fighting for? You hear a d- million different stories. You hear. I know. There are little you know, bitty oil, ones. You know nothing this, about. That. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Like, what about Panama and getting rid of Noriega? We, we don't even remember it, much less remember what the reasons behind it were. Uh, sure. 
what was the country in the Caribbean, the Grenada, right? Where we yeah, uh, had, yeah, a, we had a, an action there. What was the reason for it? All I remember was some, some Cubans were involved. They were building an airstrip or something like that. Those are the little bitty ones that have been forgotten. But Vietnam was not a little bitty one. Not at and, all. Uh, in terms of our current wars, I wonder how many Americans know the difference between a, a Shiite and a Sunni Muslim. We don't even, I don't think many do. No, no, not, yeah, not or at all. I don't, in fact, I don't think many Americans can find Iraq on a map. I agree. You know, those maps that you have in like junior high school with no name on sure. it, get that name yeah. in the country. <laughs> I don't know. I, think that I, I, did, I kind of yeah. doubt it. Because, yeah. of course, they're not involved. They, they don't have to know that. Um, but I think if their son were drafted and were sent over to Afghanistan or Iraq, I think they'd be able to find that place on the map. Let me ask you this. Let me propose this. Do, you know, sort of taking the devil's advocate approach, I guess, or just throwing out another angle here. Like, do you maybe the bubble is necessary to some extent? for people to live their day-to-day life. Like that's what we provide in America is that American dream. We provide that bubble for you so that you don't have to live right with these other things. I don't know. I mean, I'm throwing that out there. Do you think that that's part of it? Do you think in in some ways, pardon me, you think in some ways the bubble is necessary to some extent? I don't. I mean, I don't think it is necessary. I think it's, uh, I think it's destructive of democracy. That's what I think. Interesting. Uh, and so few people have to so-called, in quotes, defend our way of life and our democracy. And everybody else gets off scot-free and doesn't even have to think about it. I find it, uh, I find it actually disgusting. Um, it, just, it just it horrifies me and it disgusts me, both. It, it seems so hypocritical. Uh, it, it defies my, my my imagination of how this came to be. Yeah. Do you, do you feel like we're entering a different era where like these wars that we're used to fighting, we don't really need to fight them anymore, right? They, they talk, they've got what they call cyber warfare. You've got drones. You've got all these sort of technology where less and less people, right, can, or can get hurt, I guess, if you want to put it that way. But at the same time, we're also entering, I think, an era where the sort of I mean, I know it's still happening, but that sort of ground war of two guys with guns right facing each other sort of going down, you know, in that sense, not to say that we're not still having battles and wars and and those sort of people aren't dying, but it's it's sort of changing how it's done. You know, it's sort of changing the the landscape of it. I don't know. I'm curious how you feel. the, the, The killing is probably more remote than it once was it's not like the battle of hastings where you were using swords to cut each other everybody's head off stabbing people face to face we've we've removed ourselves progressively from the man-to-man committing of homicide we don't do it that way as you mentioned now there were drones but in world war ii bombs incendiary the nuclear bomb dropped on bombs dropped on Nagasaki and Hiroshima, but the fire bombing of Tokyo, the bombing of Dresden and Berlin—it's done—it's done in a way more remotely than it used to be. And that's that's an insulating 
consequence uh, of it all, where the, it's not the same as putting your sword in somebody's throat. Sure. In Vietnam, it, the, the war I fought on the ground was more or less man-to-man only done with weapons. So there would be 100 yards between you, but you were and sometimes much closer than that. Uh, it was not, it didn't feel remote. It, it felt deadly. And uh, yeah, you, the, the, there was, you're, you were more at risk than if you put a drone up in the sky, somebody could shoot you. Uh, yeah. the, so the risk factor may be a little bit less. On the other hand, among the people I know who served in the Army and in the Marine Corps in Afghanistan and in, and in Iraq, their, their wars were risky wars. And it wasn't just getting shot. It was landmines and what they yeah. call now IEDs. IEDs, yeah. Where the bulk of the casualties happened. And there's a different feel to warfare when, when the ground is blowing you up. Oh, God. You, there's nothing to shoot at. You can't shoot back. Yeah. And the frustration that comes over you and the fear of moving your feet and getting in a vehicle. Hey, well, I die today um, remotely. That too has got that kind of that. Way, in that case, the, the enemy is kind of insulated. So it, the, the the net effect of your question for me is, yeah, we are more insulated from the man-to-man sense of dealing death, you know, but we deal it on a on a more massive kind of scale now than we uh, and sure. we used to be able to do. Yeah. Yeah, more more methodical killing, if you will. Uh, do you, do you ever see a world without war? Does that is that something you could ever see happening? Uh, I'll, t- I'll tell I'll say an anecdote in response. Kurt Vonnegut, the author of Slaughterhouse Five, was once asked a question like that. He was asked, "Is Slaughterhouse Five an anti-war book?" And Vonnegut said, I could no more write an anti-war book than an anti-glacier book. And that's <laughs> kind of how that's kind of how I feel. Uh, I've, Aaron and I have talked about this a lot in the course of making the documentary. Um, my my sense of hopelessness that after three books directly about Vietnam, a memoir, two novels. Uh, What's changed? Nothing. Um, there's a sense of futility that uh, I hope that at some point we'll come to our senses. It's a kind of it's a kind of mutual suicide. We just that let's all commit suicide, go to war. We'll have our people die, and your people will die, and then we'll forget why. Fifty years <laughs> later, ten years later. Yeah, there's a there's a suicidal absurdity to it all that you would hope we would wake up. There are other means of settling conflicts. We just don't have the patience to stick with them. What do we pay our diplomats for? Hundreds of thousands of dollars per diplomat, (laughs) and let them let them do the diplomacy. You know, there are steps that can be taken. Sanctions, economic things, withholding aid, or all kinds of ways short of it, but we don't have the patience to adhere to that. 
it seems that not just America, but the world as a whole has a kind of uh, a quick draw mentality. You threaten it's like the Wild West. Okay, slap leather. We're gonna we're gonna gun it, gun it, gun out the answer to the, to the issue. Uh, it, that seems a little bit Neanderthalish to me, kind of Stone Age kind of thinking. We pride ourselves on our sophistication and our cosmopolitan and our awareness of moral issues in a way, and yet we don't, we just abandon all that for a kind of Stone Age response to things. Let's kill people, including our own children, which yeah. I find a little astonishing. I think yeah. you're, you're getting a sense of why I wanted to make the film. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I don't, for sure. There are a few people who speak this directly and um, w with as much passion and um, force of expression as Tim does on this issue. And I uh, maybe uh, am as equally hopeless about stopping wars in the future, but I, you know, I think we, we have to do our part to 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 change the course of things and having a voice like Tim's uh, out in the wilderness or, or even coming to the to the forefront with, with this with this film I think can help you know the more voices of reason the more in the end though Aaron and I both agree it is a kind of a voice in the wilderness that what I say and my books are not stop words I'm at least half of the country will turn off this podcast because they don't like what I have to say. Today. They believe in let's let's go gun people down, and it's sure. perfectly legitimate to do so, and we should do more of it. Yeah, that's and half our country yeah. feels that way, and I don't think yeah. there's a way of of uh, more. I think more of what I try to Changing do is, is, is to speak to the children. And uh, wives and uh, the people surrounding people, who veterans who have gone to war, come home hurt by it in all kinds of ways. Physically hurt, no arms, no legs, no ears, burned up faces, or hurt mentally where they can't hold a job and they're contemplating suicide and their marriages are falling apart. That the casualties of war, you can speak to those not just the people who suffered the casualties, but more so for their kids and their wives and their grandchildren yeah. and, and the people around them who have seen the suffering and the consequences of war in person, day by day, hour by hour, giving a bath to the guy with no legs, helping him off the toilet, that kind of thing. You can speak yeah. to those people and give them a kind of, courage that somebody understands how horrible these consequences are typically most americans only know casualties through numbers 10 guys died today in kabul sure. yeah you don't say who they were you don't even get their names most of the time um it's just a number and then at the end of a war you'll count up the casualties and that'll be a number you know 15 million people died in World War II. Actually, I think closer to 70 million, actually. That's a, wow. boatload, that's a boatload of dead people. Um, but in any case, it's a number. And it doesn't have the same effect that a 
that a story could have about helping your husband off the toilet every day because he can't, doesn't have any legs or giving him a bath or dealing with his, his self-destructive alcoholism or dealing with his drug sure. habit. The people who actually live it, you can, you can help, you can comfort them and saying, I'm there with you and I've been through it and I know what your husband or your brother is going through. There, I think there, there can be an effect. It's real. Not going to stop wars, no. But you might be able to comfort people. Sure. Maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think, um, God, the, this is, I guess, kind of crazy question. Maybe not. Is there any other, is there any country that you like the way they approach war? I, that sounds weird, right? The way I said that. I, you know. I hope you understand my question. Like, I do understand it, and I think my answer is no. <laughs> Maybe somebody knows it one. Uh, again, I'm not. I want to be clear to those few people who might still be tuned into this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to be clear that I'm not opposed to all wars. I think some are. Sure. You have to fight. Yeah, you can't, of course. You can't you can't reason with Adolf Hitler. Of course, you, know, you can't reason 100%. the racism out of the guy. It's for yep. times you have to do it. But I do argue as those cases are are not as frequent as the number of wars we have, where, sure. that, where it's not that way. Um, so do I know of a country that handles it better? The answer is no, I don't know of one. I almost wanted to say, you know, India, but then I. What about Kashmir and Pakistan and the con continuing smoldering violence on the? It's also a religious war, by the way. You know, it's a, the Muslims yeah. in Pakistan sure. versus Hindus, by and large, in the South and in India. Everybody wants to kill for God. You know, Muhammad Atta when he flew that airplane into the twin towers, he's killing for God. Yeah. And the crusade, we were killing for you know, 700 years for Christian, yep. our Christian idea of God. Yep. And that's one of the primary um, rationalizations for war. It's for God and for what we, what we think of as God. We're going to kill for the values uh, that we associate with, with religion. And, and, to me, it seems for a Christian, there are these things called the Ten Commandments, and one of them is thou shalt not kill. Yeah. And it doesn't, it's not called one of the Ten Suggestions. <laughs> it's called a commandment. Yeah. And yet, yeah. you know, the Baptists and the Methodists and the Roman Catholics and the Presbyterians. They're sending all their children off to do this, and they're going as, as if it weren't a commandment and as if it didn't apply to them or the circumstances of warfare. Um, it, well, it's different, I, it, right? It, That's what they would say. It's different. They'd say it's different, except the word, <laughs> the, the commandment does not include the words except for war. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I agree. I 100% agree. I mean, there's not some exception to the rule. It's a commandment. Sure. Sure. And it, but there's a hypocrisy of just ignoring the issue. Yeah. You could come up with answers. Of course you could. 
But yeah. no one even tries to come up with it. You just ignore it, saying, I know I shouldn't do this, but I'm doing it anyway. And I, I, that, that's that. But one of the things about turning 74 years old for me is that I'm most outraged by hypocrisy. It just it used to kind of irritate me, but now it does more than that. I just I want to fume at things like this. Saying, I thought you said you were a Christian. And you, and what about, so this commandment isn't a commandment, it's things like that. But it's like yeah. howling in the wilderness. It's just like standing out in the desert and howling about these things. And I prefer to just do it through stories, avoiding politics entirely and just tell a story and let, let sure. the story kind of carry the emotions for me. Yeah, absolutely. I might add that Aaron's film is a lot funnier than our discussion has been for the last half hour. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I've laughed quite a bit, uh, Tim, this whole podcast. I'm not going to lie. I have laughed quite a bit. And it is funny. Well, you're just a funny guy in general. Uh, I think it's the, te you know, I'm a Texan. I grew up in Texas. Uh, it, it's just sort of, uh, I know you, you, you know, you weren't born here, but, and I wasn't either. Uh, but, you know, I, you definitely have a Texas attitude about things. Where did, where did you grow up? I grew up in the DFW area, Dallas, Fort Worth. Oh, you did? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Right in Dallas or outside? Yeah. Well, like uh, H-E-B, uh, right in between uh, Dallas and Fort Worth, what they call oh, Hearst, Ulysses, oh. Bedford. Mm -hmm. That's where I, uh, I went to school. Yeah. 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 Grapevine. And uh, I went to Grapevine High School and Colleyville Heritage yeah. High School. Shout out if anybody knows those. I don't know. Uh, I know. But, uh, yeah. I visited a high school in Dallas called Highland. Park, Highland Park. Yeah, yeah. That's uh that's the you know, very rich it seemed that way. Uh part of Dallas, you know, yeah, yeah. that's uh now I wasn't going there, you know what I mean? Let's put it that no, way. I that's know. not <laughs> and I met two I met two people there who hadn't who had actually been in the military, both in the Coast Guard, I think. Oh wow. Yeah. Everybody else had not. You know, I was going to say, um, not to change, I guess I'm changing subjects, but oh, the, th there's, there's one thing that I think that could unite us as, as a world, right? It, it which would be another, like some sort of other enemy, right? Wouldn't it be like if aliens came or something like this could unite us, <laughs> right? We wouldn't be fighting against each other because that's really how wars yeah. start, right? It's like, we find a comp. Let's fight against yeah. this guy. Let's fight against that. Let's let's get let's come together. And so I feel like if that happened, I, I mean, I know that yeah. sounds crazy. As soon as you mention no, aliens, all of a sudden you sound cra like a crazy person. No, but no, it doesn't at all. I mean, let's be real. Wouldn't that unite be, us? You it think? would be like, yeah, it would probably be like exchanging, you know, 100 sort of smoldering small wars for one gigantic worldwide yeah. global <laughs> universal war. With, yeah. Instead of, you know, 100,000 casualties, you know, 100 million. But you're right. And I mean, it's part of warfare is tribalism. America, there's a tribal quality to our country, or there should be. There used to be. Now it's pretty di divisive. Like there are two tribes in our country. Yeah, that's a good point. Huh? That's a good point. But it used to be there was one American kind of tribe, and bipartisanship and that sort of thing. And then our tribe is threatened by a tribe. and vietnam or russia or germany or there is a tribal quality so if aliens would that be a the tribe you could kind of our tribe would unite against uh the dynamic of tribalism and warfare though would not be altered by aliens it would just be another 
huge tribe, we sort of earth versus, I don't yeah. know where. It's all about differences, right? It's about it's about differences and not accepting differences. Like that's how wars start. Literally, yeah. that's it's like we're different. I don't accept that. Well, I'm gonna kill you. Mm -hmm. It's like it's a crazy. It's such yeah. an interesting. Um, it is. And usually, right? And usually, people going to war. You mentioned this earlier, which I find. I think this is the most. This is very important. Is like, you know, most people don't know about war in the sense where right? we, we, I love, I'm in my bubble. I live my life. I'm going to Starbucks. I'm getting my latte. I'm, you know, go to the movies, whatever. I'm going to stop at Target on the way home. Okay. You know, and the people that decide who goes to war, right? They're at a table. They're at a big thing. They're wearing a suit, right? They're never going to see a piece of dirt on their hand, like ever. Mm -hmm. And they're, you know, little game pieces on a table. Let's send 15,000 people this way. Mm -hmm. Right. And then let's send it. That's the that's where the disconnect, uh, you know what it I mean? Is. That's it, it's like when you start looking at people like that, like just a number. I mean, it's so easy to just yeah kill people and send them well, that's off. One and, of, that's one of the chains we started out when we talked about the technological changes that have made war kind of insulating, yeah, remote. And another sure. one was that there was a time when the people who made wars decided, did the check stuff. Did it? They went. Julius Caesar led the troops. He went into war, risked his life. So did Alexander the Great. So did Cochise and Geronimo and and Crazy Horse and Sitting Bull. They they didn't just say let's fight the white man. They did it. Uh, during the American Civil War, a great many politicians left politics and they became, in some cases, enlisted men. Most often officers, but they were in battle. Their lives were risked, and many of them died. Uh, it's it's more recently where the policymakers have been so insulated from the, the dirt that you mentioned on the fingernails, the blood on the hands. Uh, that's more. That's that is more recent, and it, it's worrisome. If, you, if I could have my own way, if I were a one-man Congress, and we're not schizoid, so I wasn't bipartisan, but I was—I would say I wasn't partisan, but bipartisan. I'd have a law saying, "Yeah, you can you can send guys off to war, but you got to go too." That's just yeah. pass the law and say, "You put the chess pieces out on the board. Just you got—you have to go." I would make the same law law for everybody, everybody in our country. You know, if you go to your Elks Club and you spout rhetoric in support of a war, that's fine. Free speech is great, but you got to go. That's the price for the free speech. You got to, you know, not be a hypocrite and show yeah. that you to show that you're not lying and you're not being purely rhetorical, but you really believe it. Because if you don't do it, it tells me that you you only believe your rhetoric, pro-war rhetoric, to the extent that somebody else should die. Not you, not your kid. Somebody right. else should die. That's yeah. not that's not uh, what you what that's not the rhetoric coming out of your mouth. The, the the whole notion of citizenship in this country is really diluted when you have this major endeavor uh, like going to war, and most of us can just divorce ourselves from this this big uh, institutional countrywide project. You know, you talk about our country being divided. I think this is you know. The fact that we're able to, to wage numerous wars and have military bases around the world, um, and most of us don't have to think about it, that 
this is the reason why we're so divided. We, you know, we're, we're disconnected from our neighbors who might have to really care about that thing. And we're not all in this together. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Wow. Wow. What, and so, um, guy, you know, that, that definitely has me thinking about, um, these last four years and how divided people have been, um, do you do you all see that division getting better now in the last couple months? I don't know. People think that that had I a big change. I don't think it's getting better. I don't. Do you? I mean, personally, on a personal level, just in my own life, yes. No. But what does that mean? You know, no. what is that? Nothing. Uh, that just means me, me personally. I just stopped watching you know things on tv i i stopped uh, watching the news as much uh you know trump yeah. doesn't have his twitter account anymore i don't have to read the tweet i don't have to right, right. I just sort of right. out of sight out of mind uh sort of yeah thing. i'm afraid it's all still there that yeah yeah it doesn't go away i guess you know, today they're voting on the covid relief package 100 yeah. percent republicans against it uh there it's totally bipartisan as I mentioned earlier, the state of Georgia is now changing its voting laws for partisan reasons. They want to tamp down the mail-in vote, yeah. uh, excluding all those people who have to work for a living and haven't got time to go visit the ballot box. Uh, and it's, it, uh, it's, it's, it seems that there's a kind of solidification of uh, Americans, there that fifty-one percent that voted for Biden, and there's that forty-nine percent, roughly, that voted for Trump. And I don't see that changing. It seems like a almost like a civil war divide. That yeah, hard and that frozen. And I don't know what will break the freeze. I don't. I don't have yeah. a lot of hope, uh, at least in the short term. A hundred years from now, maybe fifty years, maybe, but in the in the near term, I suspect that this this bifurcation of America is going to is going to be a fact of life we're going to have to live with. The fact that people can actually believe without evidence that Trump won the election, and that so many believe it in the absence of evidence. Tells me it doesn't have much to do with rationality. It has much has something to do with your belief system that you're able to accept things without evidence and and accept whatever is sort of told to you. Okay. Uh, the same goes with mask wearing. You know, all the scientists tell us it's it works, and even our own experience probably tells us it works. But this morning on NPR, the news story was in regard to COVID. Today is the first day in Texas where you don't have to wear a mask and yeah. you don't have to social distance and where restaurants can open at full capacity. And the argument from some is that now it's my choice. It's my, I have a choice to wear a mask. But that is like saying, I have a choice to kill you because yeah, masks or not, are, to, right? are, to, yeah. are not yeah. Yeah. other people. Sure. And, and I want to say to them, well, then do I have a choice to kill you because you're threatening me? Is that my choice? I take a gun out and shoot you in the head. 
Of course not. Yeah. What about what about that's what laws are for to protect the, the our, our we have speed limits. You don't have a choice unless you want to get arrested of you know going 70 miles an hour. Uh, and but they're arguing we do I do have a choice to endanger the lives of your family and of you and of people around you by not wearing a mask. Uh, well, it doesn't have much to do with science anymore. It has to do with oh, yeah. some kind of notion of, I think, a mistaken notion of what freedom means, that I'm free to do anything that I choose to do. And uh, that doesn't fit with, with the country's so-called law and order, which they also purport to believe in. Yeah, part. you know, absolutely. Well, for I don't think people understand what freedom truly is. Be, just because I think they've, you know, if you've had something your whole life, right, you don't, pe- Americans take things for granted a lot. Uh, my mom's from Mexico. I grew up in uh, going to Mexico. A lot. My gosh, I'm sorry, guys, my phone's going off. Uh, I grew up going to Mexico a lot. I lived in Spain as well. My wife's from Spain. Um, I- I've experienced different cultures, right? And um, there's something about when you step outside of anything that you can get perspective on it. And I don't think a lot of Americans have perspective on what being an American is, what it means, what you should be thankful for that you have that other people don't have in this world. Right. And I think that's, that's what's hurting us the most is that just Americans, right. They go, Oh, I have to wear a mask. You're taking away my freedom. It's like, do you know what freedom is? You should go visit people who don't actually have freedom. And right. then tell them and then yeah. tell them, tap them on the sh- shoulder and go, no, 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 yeah. wait, I, I I, also don't have freedom. They make me wear a mask when I go into a store. Can you believe that? Yeah. You know, mean, meanwhile, <laughs> they're being like attacked and, you know, bombs right. going off and uh, bullets whizzing by them. And they're looking at you like, are oh. you crazy? Yeah, I, I think that's the problem. I th- really think that that's it. People part just don't big perspective. Yeah, big part of it for sure bothers me to be honest with you i'm yeah, sorry i didn't mean to go it off should. on that it does yeah. it does it bothers me well, you think like the, the sense of uh what we're being asked to sacrifice compared to we were talking about world war ii earlier where exactly people couldn't get a refrigerator or a stove yeah. like household <laughs> yeah. goods you know yeah. um and everybody was involved um and now you know you can't even do this one thing like texans really disappointed me uh throughout all this to be honest. And in a lot of ways they you know they really did because we're all supposed to be at let's come together let's work together that's what we do you know blah 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 but that all this lockdown and a mass mandate have people just freaking out and and just oh. yeah it just it really bothered me it just really just it was so upsetting yeah. to just see what are we talking about here it's like we're supposed to be coming together to help get past this instead people right. are just scre- screaming about uh, just nonsense to me. It just yeah. was a bunch of nonsense. Babies. I was like, te- Texans, we're supposed to be strong ass, you know, people, know. whatever. Like, a bunch of sissies. Like, this is crazy. Uh, yeah, just insane. Um, I, I mean, I had a lady spit on me at a gas station. This one I knew things were crazy. A lady spit on me at a gas station, uh, wa- walking by. She just spit on me. I had a mat because I was wearing a mask. Oh, I didn't my say- God. I didn't even say anything to her. Oh right? like my it's not, God. I was just walking by and she she had a mask. She pulled it down to spit on me of why I was wearing a mask. I'm like, I don't get this. I was so <laughs> I just thought, first of all, you're wearing a mask too. Yeah. Second, I, I got to go. 
I just, I gotta yeah. get out. I mean, I don't even deal with it. You know, yeah, it's insane. I mean, it's just absolutely insane. What a bizarre world. Oh, it's, it's too much. Tim, where have you been uh, this whole time? Where, where are you staying at? I'm you're in Austin. Austin right? I'm in Austin. Yeah. yeah. I have, Austin. I've rarely left my house. I'm, I think I've gone to the Walmart, pick up groceries maybe 10 times over the last year. Yeah. And even then I don't go in. I just sit in my car and they put them in the trunk and I drive away. So I've really been strictly isolated. I mean, really strictly. I probably left the property 20 times to go take walks around the neighborhood and that's it. Sure. So I, it's, but now I'm fully vaccinated. The problem is my two sons are not. Uh, and uh, my wife is fully vaccinated, but we can still transmit it. So we can't go out without masks sure. and give it to our kids. We can then pass it along to other people. So we're still, we're, we're going to stay isolated, at least until our kids are are fully vaccinated. And when that happens, Aaron and I, Aaron's family and my family, we're heading for for either Las Vegas or the Bahamas. We, don't, we haven't decided where. What a difference. What a I know. What a I know. I'm an expert gambler, so <laughs> yeah. it's a lot of money. That's a Aaron is good at, yeah. as good at gambling as I am at bowling. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an expert gambler, says the bankrupt yeah. guy. That's always right. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's <laughs> right. Tim can tell you how fast I, I made $100 disappear. He, he, you know, <laughs> Never seen money disappear that quickly. <laughs> it was he like watching out. a magic trick. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, nothing in my hand. <laughs> there used to be a hundred dollar bill there. That's funny. Actually, what you said was, "I'm glad I wasn't in Nam with you." Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know <laughs> it. <laughs> shit I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, to have you walk beside me—that's a surefire for death offense. <laughs> Single most unlucky guy I've ever been around. I've been around a lot of them. <laughs> oh man, that's that's. Hey, he was there filming when you stuck the credit card in the receipt machine. Yeah, that, you know, let's, if he hadn't let's, been uh, there, I would have never done that. <laughs> <laughs> he was there filming, and when I couldn't hit a damn bowling pin, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not one. That's always the deal when it comes to bowling. As soon as everyone starts looking at you right before you're ready to bowl, you're like, oh, shit, yeah. this is not going to be good. Well, it looks you so know. easy. You certainly could get one of those damn pins down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, meanwhile, oh, my damn. wife was like throwing strike after strike. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. That is so funny. <clears throat> well, listen, guys. Um, is there anything I didn't bring up? I don't want to, uh, you know, make sure. Uh, obviously, I'll in the beginning, I'll go over, you know, the film and uh, you know how to watch it, uh, you know, th- those yeah. sort of things. But is there anything y'all y'all wanted to quickly throw out or I didn't discuss or mention or, or anything like that? Um, I think we covered a lot of ground. Uh, yeah, Tim, if you want to. I, yeah. As long as you, you let people know that the film is available uh uh, across basically everywhere you rent and buy movies, Amazon, iTunes, Apple TV, let them know where to get it. It's, it's, as you can see, uh, it's full of drama, humor, humanity, all encapsulated in. Well, guys, I can't tell y'all how amazing this uh, conversation is, but I really, right. I got to tell I know, I know y'all do this a lot and this, you know, but I, I love this. First of all, I just love my job. I get to talk to amazing yeah. people like all day long and it's 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 unbelievable um yeah i really enjoyed this conversation it's gonna be a great podcast episode so i I just appreciate it thank you yeah 
no, absolutely. Just appreciate y'all's time and um, taking the, yeah, just taking the time. I, I, time is precious nowadays. So I appreciate anybody's time. Okay, thank you. So, yeah, thank you guys okay. so much. Okay. Best of luck with everything. And uh, okay. yeah, y'all stay okay. safe out there and we'll talk okay. soon. Okay, bye-bye. The Lone Star Play podcast is produced by Texas Real Food. Go to texasrealfood.com and you can search your city for stores, butchers, restaurants, farmers markets, and more who are using fresh, artisanal, organic sources. It's a fun site that brings all natural options all together. I hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, go to thelonestarplay.com. I'm your host, Patrick Scott Armstrong. Until next time. <laughs>